why we wanted to open a store right on our farm was so that one, they could see the farm and not just take our word for it or take a label for it. They could see the way that we were actually producing this food. And two, they got to have a personal relationship with their farmer. Therefore, they can ask us any question they want. From Meyer Hatchery, it's The Coop, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of inspiring crazy chicken keepers and educating future flock owners. I'm your host, Kendra, and on the show today, you'll hear how the desire to feed their family the best possible food grew into a passion for sharing that food with their community. Crossing Creek's farm out of Shelbyville, Tennessee, began in 2012, raising grass-fed beef, and has now evolved to sell pastured pork and poultry, as well as eggs. Elizabeth from Crossing Creek's shares about their poultry journey, how they evolved from raising 50 broilers to 800 rainbow rangers in mobile coops, her advice for those just starting out, and most importantly, how her farm continues to be a family operation as her two young sons help in the day-to-day chores. But to really understand Crossing Creek's experience, we'll begin when they made the decision to simply start. Yeah, we had laying hens before we even had our farm. We just had them in our backyard. We were so desperate to start that we just started somewhere. Mm -hmm. And we started with a small mobile coop and maybe six or eight hens in our backyard. And, you know, once you get one, they, they're kind of like chips. You just can't stop. Um, (laughs) You just keep, you just keep on with chickens. And so we have now, I'd say we're up to the 120 to 140 range on laying hens. Nice. That's funny because I have a similar quantity of chickens. When you tell people you have over a hundred chickens, they kind of look at you like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, like, I swear when you see them in person, it doesn't really feel like a hundred. You have to just come and see them. It doesn't seem like that many. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. So when you began with layers, I think that's super valuable when you said you just had to start somewhere and you had your mobile coop. I think that's a lot of people feel like they have to have a permanent coop set up and, you know, so many chickens to get started. But I like the fact that you had a mobile coop mm-hmm. because it makes it easier if you're on a piece of property, you know, you're not going to be on forever or even for, you know, several years using a mobile coop is completely fine and it will protect your chickens and it gives you those eggs to first get started or even meat chickens if that's how you want to begin. So with your laying breeds, Mm -hmm. what were some of your favorite breeds that you started with? The very first breed that we started with were Americanas and I still have Americanas to this day. We also have um, black Australopes. Red sex links are probably our most favorite at this point because of their production level, Mm -hmm. but yet they also still give us that um, friendly bird. They're, they're fun to be with. Um, It's funny how each breed has, and each chicken really has their own personality. Um, My husband and I are not as in love with chickens as much as our, our boys are who are, um, our sons are 12 and seven and they both grown up with birds, with chickens. And they're really our chicken whispers as we mm-hmm. like to call them around here. And they have them named. They can tell them apart. They can catch them. Those girls know them. And it's, it's really a joy to watch. We constantly recommend to people what a positive influence chickens can be 
in a family environment or with children, you know, teaching responsibility, giving them something to love (laughs) as a pet and take care of. So that's awesome to hear that they have adapted and kind of claimed them as their own. And honestly, I think that are not as overwhelming as a dog or a puppy can be to, I think to a lot of people's surprise, a, a puppy can, can go wrong in a lot of ways. A chicken is fully outside and yet brings still that responsibility to the table for a child. And it's, it's a great place to start. It really is. 100% recommend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now you've evolved into meat birds. So what kind of got you started with meat production? Again, it started for ourselves. So we just could not source a chicken meat that we wanted to consume for ourselves. And we also use certified organic soy free feeds here. And so that was incredibly hard for us to find. So we started meat chickens for ourselves, did a few extra to sell to just a handful of customers. That was probably three years ago. I believe this is our third season in uh, meat chickens. And it started with probably 50 chickens for the year. And I believe this year we're, we're doing more like 800. Um, still smaller production, but it is by far the best tasting meat we've we've ever experienced for chicken. <laughs> we say that a lot too on the podcast is homegrown or home raised meat is completely different than what you buy in the grocery store. And until you've experienced that firsthand, it's really hard to put into words like the true difference. I think the biggest thing we hear from our customers is they're shocked that our chicken has great texture. It's not spongy is something we hear a lot mm-hmm. and it, that it actually has flavor. And that always surprises me, but yet I, I understand at the same time, chicken is supposed to have great texture and a wonderful flavor. It's not supposed to be bland and spongy. Yeah. Homegrown is always way better. It's funny because we've raised pork on my own personal homestead before. Mm -hmm. And when we had it for the first time, I was like, man, this is really porky and good. Like it intensifies the flavor. I think when it's home raised, we can't go back. Um, I'm afraid we've ruined our boys for life on (laughs) what meat tastes like. (laughs) Exactly. Not ruined, not ruined, but refined. (laughs) Is that word refined? (laughs) That's too funny. So how many meat bird, I guess, how many rotations do you do of meat birds? Because if you're raising over 800, are you doing that in like one order or do you space that out over several months? Yeah. So we space that out. Um, Our growing season for meat chickens is typically March through October slash maybe beginning of November, if you want to count turkeys in there as well. So we are located in Middle Tennessee, and it's warm enough for us to be able to handle meat birds out for that long of, of a season. We definitely do not do any kind of meat bird through the winter just because of lots of things, freezing conditions, freezing water, all those things. And they 
sometimes aren't as hardy as the laying hens. This year, we were blessed with some new coops, some new mobiles. All of our poultry are raised in mobile coops as we move them at least once. Our meat birds get moved twice a day to fresh grass in their coops. Um, This helps us to spread out their manure, which is our fertilizer on our pastures, um, as well as cut down their exposure to parasites. And they also get access to fresh grasses, bugs, worms daily. And so our new coops this year have allowed us to do 200 at a time. So we're doing four rounds of 200 meat birds this year. Um, We will increase that next year. We usually increase every year. Um, Next year, we'll have two of these coops devoted to meat birds. So we're going to do closer to 300 to 350 at a time Mm -hmm. and still probably just do four runs can maybe squeeze in a fifth run kind of depends on if we continue to move forward with turkeys or not that's kind of a debate this year for us and of course this year we've changed our breed of meat birds with Meyer Hatchery of course we started with Cornish Cross this year we were really wanting to get something a little more heritage so we went with the um oh man help me out (laughs) my brain just Fried. What are they called? Yep. Rainbow Rangers. Rainbow Rangers. Thank you. So we had a little rocky start at the beginning of this season, but it really had to do with more of us and these new coops than it did the breed. Come to find out our automated feeding system was not set up the way that we needed it to be set it up. And so they went a little stir crazy, got a little hungry, but we have leveled that out and they have been amazing to raise this year. We have enjoyed them more. Um, We personally just did not as a family enjoy raising Cornish cross and it was, it's important to us that we enjoy what we do as a family and it not be miserable. And so we, instead of just totally giving up on meat birds, which wasn't something we want to do either. We tried this breed and have been super impressed with the rainbow Rangers from you guys. They've been amazing. They have a lot more personality. They're fun. They are a longer grow out. So instead of eight weeks, we do 10 weeks. Um, but they have produced some of the best tasting chicken I have ever had. Truly, it's been outstanding. Yes, I'm glad you're here to second my opinion because I preach to people all the time. I do. I still think Corners Cross are a good experience. I truly do think that's where people should at least start to mm-hmm. kind of get a feel for things. But yeah, I 100% am Rainbow yeah. Ranger. Yeah, I'm glad we started with the Cornish Cross. We learned a lot through them. It was a way to figure out if we wanted to do meat birds or not, understand kind of the, what a production runs look like. Um, but like I said, just as a breed, we just didn't enjoy them uh, as well as we we host guests through our RV sites and our campsites here on the farm. We have a lot of people visiting from all over that maybe have or have absolutely no farm experience. And the farm is open for everyone to see the way that we are raising all of our livestock. And as you may or may not know, raising Cornish cross, they're not the the prettiest things. They're not going to win the ribbon for being the prettiest bird. And most of the time they don't really grow out all of their feathers. And so they have just naked butts running around and, and people really didn't understand that. And it was kind of hard to explain. And so that was just another reason why we were just not in love with them. And Mm -hmm. so we try the Rainbow Rangers. They are beautiful. They look like a heritage bird. They look very similar to the red sex lynx, our laying hens. Um, They have all kinds of colors and they're just fun. They're funner to be with. Like I said, they just have more personality. So we've really enjoyed them this year and plan on sticking with them next year. 
And I think that's important to point out too, is that I think oftentimes people have a bad experience with a certain breed, whether it be poultry or otherwise, and they give up. And really there's so many varieties out there and different poultry types to try. Even if you didn't like, you know, chickens, you could try turkeys for instance, or ducks or try a different breed to really find something you like. Like you mentioned prior, the temperament of those breeds and the personality between individual chickens is just so different. So different. That's so true. Absolutely. We've done a little bit of all when it comes to poultry. We have ducks here as well for laying hens. And then um, we do we do meet turkeys. Uh, this year on the turkeys, we also upped it to a heritage. We went from just the classic white broad-breasted turkeys to the black Spanish heritage turkeys. Mm-hmm. And again, we kind of, it was kind of a, oh gosh, <laughs> we did two new things this year in our poultry production and which was changing breeds and changing coops mm-hmm. and it kind of hit us hard. <laughs> we didn't expect it. Um, the coops have turned out to be the best time saver thing ever, but they did have a bit of a learning curve with them. And unfortunately we, there was no way to learn without birds in there. And so um, we haven't had the best start with these black Spanish turkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we don't believe that it's the breed's fault. We believe that it had everything to do with our feeding system. We are going to see how they finish out come November and hear back from our customers before we make the decision if we are be moving on with turkeys next year or not. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm a huge believer in doing research in advance too. I know a lot of times And even in my own personal experience, it was like the excitement of getting birds and starting something new. I jumped into it before learning. And yes, you'll learn along the way. I've definitely made mistakes myself that have led to learning experiences and I've improved because of it. But doing that research in advance of, for instance, in your case, like your specific climate, knowing how long you can extend your growing season for your broilers and changing up your setup, you know, what makes sense for you? Obviously, the mobile coop because it benefits your pasture because you are raising other animals. So doing some of that research in advance too for new chicken keepers, whether you're raising layers or meat birds can help give you a good foundation to start from. Then from there, definitely brace yourselves because you're still going to keep learning. Yes. Research is everything. We most definitely start with research and learn from others that have gone before us. Yes. And I think there's definitely people too I've talked to who are on the other side of that spectrum where they've done so much research that it freaks them out to even get started. And so there is that point where you just have to take the leap and say, okay, we're doing this. (laughs) Yes. Don't be scared to start. Just start. (laughs) Yes. Now, once your birds are raised up in your mobile coops, can you kind of walk me through your meat bird setup as far as processing? I know you have the farm store on location. Are you processing on site as well? Um, so we were the first two years, two, two or three years. We are not processing this year because we've upped our numbers so much that we just do not have enough hands here to get them all processed. Um, we were doing whole birds here last year and then taking our Uh, the rest of our production to um, a small family butcher that's local to us for all of our cutouts. We don't have the cooling space to handle cooling birds, cutting them up and then packaging those individually. So we're just doing our whole birds here last year. Um, So we have done the processing end of it. 
that must be a good feeling to finally be at that point where you can pass it off. It is nice. It is really nice. And we're incredibly grateful for them. If you've never processed birds, it's one of the most intense things Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you could do. Um, It's a lot of work and we have no problem paying someone else to do it. (laughs) Yes. I hear that all too often. I think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to poultry processing. A lot of people... Um, that I talk to or that are local to me have hunted in the past or do hunt. So they're used to processing things like deer, or maybe they've processed hogs or cattle before, but processing poultry has so many steps to it. And it really does take an army (laughs) to process them efficiently. It really does. We would rather process our own cattle and pigs here. Um, We too have done our own deer off the farm. And even though it's a much larger animal, you really can get it done with just one or two of you. But when it comes to chicken, especially the more you, more chickens you have to process in a day, um, the more hands you need, you need a full crew of at least 10 people, I would say easily, or a really efficient small, smaller crew. But for us, it would need to be eight to 10 people to really get through 200 birds in a day. And at this time, it's just not something that we have access to. So it, it's amazing how much, uh, how many more hands are needed for such smaller animals. <laughs> exactly. And that's what you think too, right? They're small. This is going to be quick and easy. And then you get out there and you're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> but I swear the end result is worth the effort. But yeah, it can be a little bit of a learning curve there to realize what it takes. Now, You sell at your farm store on property. Can you talk a little bit about selling poultry as a business? Absolutely. So we sell meat chickens as well as eggs direct to the consumer. And we always have. I think that that's probably the one thing that farmers and homesteaders don't think about when they think about starting a farm with the intent to sell some other product is marketing. There's a lot to go into it to get customers and basically to get their attention or to get to be noticed. It's a very busy world. And so we are not noticed nearly as much, obviously, as big box stores. So we have to think a little bit out of the side of the box and get creative to get the customer here. Uh, But what we've found is word of mouth is great. Those that are like-minded and looking for organic, soy-free meats and eggs as well as just locally sourced meat and eggs. Usually once they find us, they're incredibly loyal and kind of diehards. And we are humbled by that and um, appreciate that a ton. So yeah, we, we open up our store on the weekends and we are opening an online store actually today so that they can shop online and pick up and schedule a pickup time during the week when we're not open uh, just to add some more convenience. But that's how we sell is direct right off the farm through our store. We, we don't do any farmer's markets. I love that you're opening your online store. Congratulations. That's another huge undertaking. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Even with an IT specialist, it's a lot. <laughs> but yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm really excited about it. And now are you also shipping meats to customers? We're currently not. We were. We've done that a little bit over the last year on and off. Since summer hit, dry ice has been incredibly hard to find. And it is the only way that we prefer to ship our meats nationwide is with dry ice opposed to ice packs. It truly does keep them frozen. We want them to arrive to you frozen. 
not thawed or partially thawed, we really try to aim for frozen. And it's been a real challenge with dry ice. And we just can't buy it at the volume that bigger businesses can. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a little bit more challenging to get our hands on it. So we've kind of taken this time to rebuild our online store, launch a new online store for pickups. Um, We'd love to launch for maybe some local delivery stuff in the future and eventually hope to get back into some of the shipping game. Now, I'm going to have two questions for you on advice. One, I would like to hear if you could provide one piece of advice for selling off of your farm, what would it be? Oh, yeah. Loaded question. Loaded question. Hire hire a marketing person. (laughs) Um, Really marketing uh, somehow fell into my lap. And so it's kind of one of my main jobs, but I would say really have a goal in mind for your products and how you want them to be uh, get to the consumer and then focus heavily on that. So if you, if you don't want to dabble in shipping, just don't even think about it and focus your marketing and finding people really locally or vice versa. I do not find myself an expert by any means and word of mouth is great. Social media is helpful only in that it's free other than your time. So managing your time with that, trying to get into maybe some local newspapers sticking your brochures and businesses kind of old school. Like how do you, how do you get out there in front of the consumer is, is a big one. I mean, to be honest, the day we opened our farm store, I think one person showed up Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was kind of an eye awakening of, Oh, jeepers. We've really got a market now. (laughs) (laughs) We're here. We've done this and we did all this and we kind of skipped the marketing part and we got to backtrack and really think about that. And so just getting your name out there, a website, a website's huge for them to be able to just Google search. Even if you don't have an online store, just a really nice website with a lot of information. Um, We find that a lot of people just Google for local meats in their area. They're just searching that on the web. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have a website, you're just not, they're not going to know that you're here. So get a website, I'd say would be the big thing. And that website too definitely helps with hours and location and things like that. Even when it's word of mouth, I've had people say, oh yeah, you like so-and-so sells this, you should check it out. And so I search it online. So I know when to show up <laughs> and I can't find anything. And it's like, oh man. So then you have to do like the creepy drive by. and <laughs> Exactly. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to waste their time. And we have very select hours where we don't have the manpower to be open every day, all day like big stores. We just, we don't have the manpower to do that. And so it's really important to have a searchable site. Remember that social media is not necessarily searchable on the internet. And so having a website that is searchable means that they can find you and have all that great basic information with an email contact or a phone number and address is huge. Make sure your address is on there and your hours. That would be some big ones. Mm -hmm. And I think too, this year, this past year, more than ever, I think there's been a huge movement more towards supporting farmers and finding local meats and things like that. If you're not a homesteader or you're not a farmer and you don't raise your own poultry or meats or vegetables, knowing that not only now are those farmers having to 
raise those animals and vegetables, but now they have the added task of marketing themselves on top of it. That's an adjustment for them and obviously for you. And so they're taking on not only raising great product, but also trying to sell that product. And so I think giving um, people like you and other farmers that grace of they're juggling multiple hats and it's hard work. And so not only to appreciate the the meat that you're producing, but also the time and effort you're putting into making it accessible to consumers, I definitely applaud you. I know that's hard work. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. But yes, it's it's what's rewarding spending so much time in, in the marketing is when you get that perfect customer who is over the moon excited to find you and is becomes a diehard that's and then we get to have a one-on-one relationship with them which is what we love the most and why we wanted to open a store right on our farm was so that one they could see the farm and not just take our word for it or take a label for it they could see the way that we are actually producing this food and two they got to have a personal relationship with their farmer therefore they can ask us any question they want um, at any time and we're here to be completely transparent and honest about how we produce their food. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because it's nice to hear it from a farmer themselves because that relationship that you build is completely invaluable in that transparency. I mean, not only does tasting farm-raised, pasture-raised product going to blow you away, but then that added relationship on top of it just makes it that much better and tastier. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. It's amazing. You sit down at the table and you can see the faces and hear the voices of the people that help to make that meal a reality for you to have right there on your table. So it's, yes. it's that that's rewarding. Now, in terms of the farm and the effort you've put into that, what's one thing you wish you would have known before you started out? Raising animals go... Um, we've been incredibly blessed, I feel like, and have had some of the most amazing experiences with our animals. That's a learning process. It's still learning. We are not masters by any means, and we don't anticipate to ever be masters. It's an ever-changing world when it comes to farming because our world's ever-changing. But as far as something I wish I'd known before starting, sometimes there's losses, and it's a little harder than I think I anticipated it to be um, when we lose an animal unexpectedly. That's probably one of the things that has taken me back a little bit outside of the marketing thing mm-hmm. is that when you have that calf unexpectedly pass that you didn't understand or know why, um, it's the not knowing that sometimes gets to you. And I think knowing that loss is inevitable is really... Yeah. It's going to happen. Um, and we knew that going into it, that it was going to happen. I just don't know that we anticipated how sometimes it really is emotional. And I know that always takes people back a bit because they're like, but you're a meat farmer. Um, that's what you do. Um, yes, yes, it is. But we also have animals that live here for an incredibly long time. For instance, our, our mother cows, we have cows that are 12 years old and will go and continue to raise calves for us until they're 16, 18 years old, we, we know them each, you know, mm-hmm. and when one passes unexpectedly, it's, that's a loss for us, not just financially, but um, emotionally too. You spend mm-hmm. a lot of hours taking care of them. You are, you're out there every single day feeding and watering and caring for them. 
And when you experience that loss that's out of your control, that is incredibly hard. And I don't know if humbles you is the right word, but it kind of resets you, right? Like you're used to your day-to-day doing your normal thing. And when something like that happens, it kind of resets you as a farmer or a homesteader. And we try to look at it as a bittersweet thing because it means that we've not become numb to loss, Mm -hmm. um, which isn't something we ever want to... uh, we don't ever want to happen is that we just absolutely become numb to death around here. Um, and even though my husband and I are more of the large animal lovers and um, our, our boys get incredibly attached to these chickens. In fact, our youngest, I guess it's been within the last year lost one of his beloved chickens, one of his personal beloved chickens that he had up in his, he has a small coop where he keeps just a few of them that he's really attached to. And she passed away and it crushed him for days. Mm-hmm. It blew us away. We had no idea he had become so attached. It was as if he'd lost his family dog of 20 years. I mean, he just, it absolutely crushed him. And um, we shared the experience on our Instagram page because we try to be very transparent. And he's grown up helping us process chickens here, but it's completely different when it is one that that you have spent a little more time with and named and loved and had longer, you know, the meat, the meat birds aren't here for that, for that very long, but the laying hens are here for several years. So that was a huge loss for him and um, had, but had the best community support come out and just love on him um, Mm -hmm. during that time. So that was beautiful. That's so sweet. And I love that you mentioned that with your son, because I think we have often have the conversation of family involvement or having kids help process. And if you've never processed an animal before, I think it takes a lot of people back of exposing a child to that. And I know that can be a hot topic for some people, but can you kind of speak to your children's involvement in your farm process as a whole? Big reason that I feel like we farm is for our children. We wanted them to grow up in this lifestyle. And it wasn't that long ago that our culture had to farm in some way, even if it was just backyard chickens and a family milk cow. Everybody was involved and ultimately everyone saw death that way as well. And kids grew up around that. And so for us, it's something that we wanted them to be exposed exposed to. It's not for everyone and, and we completely understand that. But we chose from the beginning to school them here at the farm so that they didn't miss out on anything good and bad. Um, We wanted them to be able to see it all and experience it on a day-to-day basis. And so they've been a part of everything. They've seen everything from um, a newborn calf that is struggling and that we've had to try to nurse back to health and spend time with at night as families caring for and praying over and yet to have that animals still not make it. And we all shed tears as a family and experience it together. It's been incredibly beautiful in a lot of ways. Uh, we're incredibly closer, I think, as a family because of it. But they've, they've experienced it all. When we were processing chickens here for meat, they were involved in those days. They understand how incredibly hard, physically hard and laborious those days are. Um, but they were involved in in every part and saw every part from beginning to end. So they saw from baby chick all the way to a package process to then sitting at the dinner table, eating that. And they valued that meat so much because they knew exactly what went into it to uh, get it to their table. And so it's, 
it's been a beautiful process to see them care for something, raise it, make it a, pro- a product, but also to care for something, love it, and raise it as a pet too. It's had tough moments, uh, parenting moments I didn't expect <laughs> to have to get through, but it's been it's been incredibly beautiful as a family to be a part of. Thanks for sharing that. I definitely, I appreciate your insight and opening up about that. Like I said, it can be a tough subject, but I think for those families who are considering the idea, I think hearing that directly from you will be powerful. Um, And I like the point you made about value, if nothing else. And there's a lot of other really great factors to raising animals as a family. But I know even the simplest things as vegetables. <laughs> so for here around here, it's funny. We eat a lot of green beans and we have, you know, planted the seed, <laughs> raised the plant, harvested the beans, canned the beans. And when you're eating it in the middle of winter, let me tell you, nobody is wasting a green bean because they remember the sweat that went into, you know, growing them and processing them. And it's the same with me. I feel like because we raise and grow a lot of our own things, personally for me, that we've reduced our food waste substantially because now there is value to it where with before it was like, oh, well, we just go and get it from the grocery store or we can go get another one. And it's like, "Mm, no, you can't. So like, (laughs) this is all we've done. One of the really neat things we've also seen with hosting people from all over when they come and they stay and they're staying in their RV or in our camp spot and they have they've brought their children with them. My boys love to be little hostess as well and take them around and show them laying hens and ducks and those things. And occasionally, if the timing's perfect, those children are allowed to gather eggs and help with that. And what's amazing is is to hear back from parents that oh my gosh, my kids are such piggy eaters, but they helped gather those eggs. Therefore they ate the eggs and they love the eggs or they went out. To, we don't have a large garden, but um, you know they've gone out to our garden or someone else's garden and picked a tomato and never ate a tomato before because they're picky eaters and now they love tomatoes. Once children are involved, it connects them in a way that excites them about their food. And that's been a a really fun thing to get to see firsthand is seeing the next generation learning and growing and enjoying food on a different, different way because they knew exactly where it came from. That's awesome to hear that you're not only exposing your own family to those treats, but you are also able to invite others onto your farm to experience it as well. And now I'll be sure to link to your website and social media platforms below in the show notes. So if anyone's traveling through and is looking for a farm to stay at, they can find you. Or if they're local and would like to purchase some of your meat products, um, they can maybe visit your store firsthand. Awesome. That would be great. All right, Elizabeth, I appreciate your time and sharing. Thank you for having us. This was, this was amazing. 